Good morning, everyone. This is Jeffy Kennedy. I'm here with my first cup of coffee. Today is Tuesday, July 28th. Uh, Colleen Champagne pinged me on Facebook and said that I said May yesterday. That I said it was May 27th. And she said she listened to it twice. And I thought, surely she was wrong. I had it all figured out in my head that I just kind of like mush-mouthed, delighted Monday in July. But no, I very clearly said May 27th. So there, I bought you guys two months that you get to have back. You're welcome. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what it was. I knew perfectly well it was July. But clearly I was thinking about other things as I talked. Let's see, I'm out here in the Grape Arbor. And these cushions are just going to be way too wet to sit on. I think we're going to have to go out to the portal in front. Um, more rain last night. Lovely, lovely rain. Uh, we had a... I don't know if it rained before this, but we had just a torrential downpour starting around 3.30 or 4. And it just... Yeah. And I'm trying to think of other words, other synonyms. But the rain, rain, rain came down, down, down in a rushing, winding river. It was, uh, it woke me up. <laughs> and for those of you, we're going to go back to the passageway of doom here. For those of you who have been listening to me for a while, you know that nothing wakes me up. But the rain woke me up. I thought maybe David was, he wasn't in bed. And I thought, well, geez, is he out in the kitchen doing something? What the hell is he doing? Ah, there we go. Much drier out here. The portal is a New Mexico term, for those who don't know. It's basically a porch, but it's... Portal is in the portal to the house, the doorway. So it's kind of um, almost like an outdoor room in a way, although it's enclosed only on one side where it meets the house. Otherwise, it's just like um, a very high porch. There's no banister. So there's just like the concrete pad. You guys see me take pictures out here all the time. And in fact, I took one this morning from inside the house looking out the front door and you'll be able to see the boundaries of the portal there so it works out well. I took a picture of David and Jackson having a conversation about rodents. <laughs> oh, David got Jackson a new lunge leash parachute cord that won't tangle so much. So they were also discussing that. So anyway, the portal is um, a concrete pad and then the posts, let's see, five posts, yeah, five posts and sort of inlaid wood on the ceiling, um, pretty much like any porch, but there's no balustrade. It goes right to the ground. And so it's different from what I would normally call a porch. And I know sometimes I call it the porch or the patio. Um, depending on who I'm talking to. And I 
I often feel like nobody knows what I'm saying when I say the portal. So it, uh, that rain lasted until about six. It really just um, unleashed. So everything is very drippy right now. The It's not raining now. So if you hear dripping sounds, that's the water still dripping off of the canales. So, so an interesting thing happened yesterday. Uh, you all know that on, I guess I told you on Friday, that uh, Sarah and I had decided to pull the new shiny, Valeria, from submission because it's simply, you know, the second round of submissions, people that had it um, had just been sitting on it, no word. And so... And she wants to go out on sub with Dark Wizard. So it was like, okay, well, you know, sometimes those are the breaks. And, you know, that one, I was sorry because I know I keep saying this over and over. But, you know, I really did think that that one was shiny. I really thought that it would hit. But, you know, I'm, I was fine. Take it back and self-publish it. And, I'm, yeah. Well, so Sarah emails me yesterday morning. And she says, guess what was in my inbox this morning? Yeah, so this editor sent her an email that it had it and you know, and saying um, said really lovely things about the book, um, saying that it was so accessible and so wonderful and that she really loved it and that she would get it, except that right now she's focusing on acquiring diverse voices. You know, and Sarah, of course, said, you know, we applaud you in doing that. That's something that's got to be done. But the gal said, however, my colleague, this other editor at the same house, um, she and I share sensibilities, and I think she would love this. So Sarah emailed me and said, what do you want to do? And I said, yeah, let's, let's let the other editor look at it. And Sarah's going to go ahead and shake the tree, as she put it, you know, let the other editors know what's going on. And we'll see what happens with this. I told Sarah that I can't work on it till middle of August anyway. Um, I'm thinking that I'm going to have Dark Wizard in shape for her to look at by August 15th. And I, um, yeah, so I'm not even going to pick up Valeria until then. So she said, yeah, that she would... Um, send it to this editor and and let her you know and we'll we won't let it sit out there so long i'll take it back by august 15th if nobody has bit but maybe maybe somebody will bite still maybe this could still be the shiny that i thought it was kind of exciting um yeah so, you know, isn't that funny how that works, though? I feel like the universe does that all the time. And Sarah and I were even talking about that, that, you know, the, she's sent me back a funny email after I commented. I said, you know, isn't it funny how the universe will do that? Just sort of you decide, okay, I'm going to pull this. And she's like, yep, the universe is like, wait, hold on just a minute. <laughs> I really do believe and that kind of thing. I think that we communicate with each other on intangible levels. 
and that when we set certain intentions, I do think it communicates it, that to other people. So, so I um, got going on Dark Wizard yesterday. It was really kind of funny because I went in and I really revised the first chapter and combined it with the second chapter. So now it's just one 11-page chapter, which seems to be about right. And then I got to the previous chapter three, which is now chapter two, and I realized that I'd opened the book in the heroine's POV and I'd written it in first person. And then chapter three, when I kind of leapt to that scene, I wrote it in third person. And Sarah sent me her comments that she'd made on her Kindle as she was reading. And <laughs> she didn't comment on that and Grace didn't comment on it. So I wrote it, Sarah, back, and I said, gee, thanks a lot for not caring about this. And she said, um, she said, oh, you know, and, and her intern had read it too, and her intern didn't mention it. And Sarah said, you know, I just don't pay attention to stuff like grammar and point of view. She said, all I really care about is if the voice works, and the voice works in this. And I thought that was very interesting. I don't know if she would say the same thing if she was reading something from someone who is not already her client. It would be interesting to ask her. But I found it kind of fascinating for as much emphasis as we put on sending a clean manuscript. And I still believe you need to send in the cleanest manuscript that you can when you're querying. But The fact that she didn't notice a POV shift like that from the same character, that what mattered most to her was voice. I think there's a take-home message there. I'm not exactly sure what it is. I don't know. What do we think? I think that probably the message is, is that voice is the most important thing. Uh, you know, we spend a lot of time talking about what is the idea for the story, you know, the ins and outs of the plot and structure and all, all of this stuff, you know, and is it double-spaced and all of that. And I think that when you're querying, sending in a perfectly clean manuscript or as clean as you can get it um, is important for cred. It shows your professionalism. It shows that you've paid attention to what the submission requirements are and that you can follow instructions, which seems like a stupid thing, but you would be amazed at how many people seem to be unable to follow instructions. And it's difficult to work with people like that. People who can't or won't follow instructions make life just so much harder. So, you know, it just, um, it adds a level of work for everybody else. And it also reveals, the won't comes in because it reveals a level of obstinacy. It means that if the person won't follow instructions, it can indicate that they 
think that they know better than everybody else and that they're unwilling to cooperate. And that kind of person can be really difficult to work with too. You just don't need people in your life who are like, oh no, my way is special and wonderful and I don't care what anybody else wants. It's just like, okay, can we all agree on 12 point times New Roman, double spaced one inch margins, that way we're just sort of all looking at the same thing. Don't send me funky fonts. Don't fuck around with your margins. Just try to squeeze more words on the page. We can tell. All of these. You know, the, the standardization is there to make people's lives easier. And when you decline to observe the standards, you're making other people's lives harder. And you just <laughs> don't make other people's lives harder. You know, we, we all have hard enough lives as it is. So, so having a clean manuscript that you send in definitely shows your level of professionalism. And it shows the level of care. If you send in something that's riddled with typos and grammatical mistakes and spelling mistakes... It shows that you didn't take the time to get those things fixed, you know, and not everybody is good at those things and that's fine. That's why you get somebody else who is good at it. You know, hopefully you have friends <laughs> and you find a friend to read through those things for you. Um, you know, even a basic level of proofreading is better than none. And if you don't have friends, if you don't have friends who are good proofreaders or literate, then find find friends online. There are plenty of aspiring authors online and uh, people willing to help each other out. You have to be willing to help them, but, you know, that's a pretty small price. So then coming back to voice, as long as the voice works, that's what she cares about. And I've talked about this some before, but... I think that we can't emphasize enough how important it is to refine voice and to get voice working. And clearly Sarah is work, is using it in a slightly different context here because she's very familiar with my writing voice, right? So this is like the voice of these particular characters in this particular story that for some reason is really singing to her and also singing to Grace. So a lot of times we talk about an author's voice uh, as being very distinctive to who they are. And one of the best explanations of what voice is, because there is a lot of intangible to it, you know, we recognize it, uh, a lot of you who read my books, you know as soon as you start reading, you you feel comfortable with my voice because it's part of what you like about how I write and the stories I put out there. You enjoy that particular voice. Other people will bounce off the voice. A lot of people love Grace's voice. And it's a very, I can recognize something that Grace has written instantaneously. Um, and I can do that with many of my favorite authors. You know, you, you get the new book in the series from your favorite author, you know, like you open up that new J.D. Robb in Death's book, and on that first page, it's like, oh yeah, Nora, here's your voice. 
and it's it's um comforting i want to say comforting familiar it's when you're especially when it's an author that you love to read returning to that voice is like going to your favorite restaurant you know you know what's on the menu and you love the way it smells and how the bench seats feel and the atmosphere so in many ways voice is a combination of many many things but the best explanation i ever heard and this was from a panel not a panel but like a workshop with Susan Elizabeth Phillips and Jane Ann Krentz, who are best friends and have been best friends for like their 50 years of career or what have you. And they said that voice is a result of your values and beliefs. So whatever your core values and beliefs are, those come out in your writing. And that's part of what people respond to. Now, getting that to come out in your writing is something that takes a great deal of time and effort. And really, I think there's no substitute for it than to write many, many words. Write as many words as you can. Um, be, you know, clear out those pipes. You know, I like that analogy. But also, you know, it's kind of like, um, you know, like Michelangelo talked about sculpting that the sculpture was already there inside the marble and that his job was to chip away the excess to reveal it. And I think that's a lot of what we do with voice too. One of the things I notice in um, newbie writers, but also like, I don't know what would, what would the word be for it. Like writers with like their first books or yeah, right around in that area. I, I saw someone recently, I was reading something that she wrote, and she's written one book, and I read a blog post of hers, and it was so overwritten. I mean, it, she was like trying to sound really smart. And when you're trying to sound smart, can you, can you even hear that phrase, trying to sound smart? So already you are not sounding like yourself. You are adding a layer over your native voice and I end up giving that advice a lot to uh, newbie writers you know I'll say try just writing it like you would talk it out because they tend to overwrite everything they try tend to make everything so much more formal and add in all these words and embellishments and stuff and there's so much noise there that you can't hear their voice and that's why it often works for people to try writing it like they talk it because then that's much, much closer to, to them, right? That's their, their unadorned actual voice. What Sarah is talking about in this case, I think she's talking about just that intangible. I'll have to mull over that more and think of how to explain it. If any of you have ideas, please feel free to comment. But I think maybe she's talking about the voice of the characters or the narrative voice of the story. So maybe we should try differentiating between uh, the author's overall voice and the voice of a particular story or world. It's interesting to contemplate, isn't it?
All right. Well, I've talked for almost 20 minutes. Um, I did want to mention, in case I forget, we watched the best movie last night um, called 7500 with uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. And it's about, and he plays a co-pilot on an airplane that is hijacked. And it's just an hour and a half movie. And I swear this is like the most tense movie I have ever seen. Dave and I were both just like, oh my God, <laughs> this is the most tense movie. Um, Mom, you would hate it. Dave would probably like it, but you wouldn't be able to stand it. We and Even David commented, oh, Kathy wouldn't be able to watch this. Uh, they actually bought an airplane and filmed the movie on the airplane for gritty realism instead of building a set. And so you get that sense, that claustrophobic sense of the confines of the airplane. But then they also did great stuff that I really want to learn from on building suspense. And since I'm teaching a class, I keep forgetting to mention that too, I'm teaching a class on keeping secrets and building suspense. Oh, there goes the Cooper's Hawk. Uh, in August, I'll put a link in the show notes. I'll try to remember for OIRWA. And I want to incorporate some of that in there because I think that um, there were this great stuff where, you know, like the cockpit doors are locked and the terrorists outside keep pounding and pounding and pounding on the door and they don't let up. And the ground control is, or air traffic control is on the radio and they keep asking questions. They're like, can you respond? What? Can you give us an update? Can you respond? Can you respond? And Joseph Gordon-Levitt's trying to do this stuff. And there was something about that, the repeated questions that, you know, I think we're so uh, conditioned to answer things, you know, to reply to things that having that question go unanswered over and over and over and you want to tell them just to shut up and the people are pounding on the cockpit door and you have this thing like you need to open the door but you can't open the door the last thing you can do is open the door um it's it was really just amazingly well done and i recommend it would love if you do watch it would love to hear your observations so then i after we finished it um even though it was already like uh i don't know 9 30 i had to watch a little bit of wimbledon just to calm me down and i want to know why is Wimbledon not like at the top of everybody's lists for best rom-com ever is I think it's a perfect movie I think it's um perfect in every way why why isn't everybody always referencing that I mean I love Notting Hill and some of these others but Wimbledon that's a great movie I should talk about it more and here I am going way long today so I've been going long lately I've been chatty haven't I all right, I'm going to go. The first cup of coffee is part of the Frolic Media Podcast Network. You'll find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. And I will talk to you all on Thursday. Take care. Bye-bye. <laughs>